Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of No Talking at All. For those of you who've been listening along so far, you know that we've been in conversation with members of my family. And while there's a wealth of rich stories from my quote-unquote roommates, I think it's about time to start branching out a little. Of course, we will not abandon them altogether, but, you know, we're going to bring some new voices onto the scene. The first of these voices is a friend of mine from college who really embodies the spirit of this podcast in some really beautiful ways. I'm so excited for you to hear her story, so why don't we hop right in? But first, of course, theme music. everyone. Well, welcome back to another episode of No Talking at All. Uh, Up until this point, all of my guests have been sitting right next to me, but today I'm very lucky to be joined by a guest who is over 13,000 kilometers away. Um, So, Rusha, welcome to the show. Are you excited to be here? I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you. Yeah, so good to see you too. I know everyone can't see us, they can only hear us, but we are talking somewhat face-to-face thanks to, you know, the marvels of modern technology. Um, so Rusha, I asked I asked Rusha to join the show for a number of reasons. Um, we connected back in college quite a while ago, and actually the first time we met was when she was teaching my younger cousin uh, dance, and we were kind of <laughs> forced into an introduction, and we were just kind of like, okay, who is this person? Um, I guess I recognize them. Um, but then Rusha came and joined my orientation team when I was leading orientation at Carnegie Mellon, um, and I just loved getting to know her, and she's just such an interesting, passionate person. But even beyond all of that, um, she's really taken her passions and a lot of aspects of her culture and her roots into like her day-to-day life, I guess you could even say. So we're going to take some time today to unpack that, learn a little bit about what motivated that, um, and see if she has anything, you know, any nuggets of wisdom to share with us. So I'll hand it over to Rusha really quick. Rusha, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Tell us where are you from? Where's your family from? What's your story? Sure. (laughs) Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, I'm so glad we met. I'm so glad we're still in touch. But yeah, so it all started out in Pittsburgh where we met. And that's actually where I was born. I was born at the hospital across from um, my childhood home. And um, that's where my family settled. So my parents are both from West Bengal, India. They immigrated here in the 90s. And we've been in Pittsburgh ever since. Um, And so it's really interesting for me to be in the city for my entire life. I'll be moving to Chicago in August, so I'm excited for the change, but I'm definitely going to be missing home a little bit. All right, so you're a true yinzer. What are you going to Chicago for? Right, I forgot to mention, so I'll be starting um, medical school in Chicago, um, so former years of school, but I'm excited to be back in school. I um, I graduated in 2019 um, with a biology and creative writing um, degree, and I did a little bit of a grad program at Penn in Philly, and then currently I'm serving in the National Health Corps, which is an AmeriCorps program. So I'm like a full-time volunteer working at federally qualified health centers in Pittsburgh. Amazing. Look at you. You're just like so agile, I think, from a professional (laughs) perspective. Like I kind of jumped right into work as soon as I could, Um, but it's really cool to see you like really getting your hands dirty in a lot of very relevant spaces. So 
I want to rewind a little bit now that we know what you're up to now. I want to talk about something that I know is very, very important to you. In fact, I remember on your application to orientation, you told us that like, you know, college and orientation was like a big dance party to you. Um, and after that, you know, I got to know you um, as a dancer, both inside of school and outside of school. So, you know, we know that dancing is in your blood. Um, how did it become such a big part of your life? Sure. So I think, you know, literally in my blood, my mom was a dancer, so maybe there's some genetic component there, <laughs> but she was a dancer. Um, she's a dancer by profession. So she's the artistic director of the Nandanik Dance Academy and also the Nandanik Dance Troupe, which are uh, Pittsburgh-based um, school and um, nonprofit organization focused on promoting Indian culture through dance and arts um, for the greater Pittsburgh community. So she's always been a dancer by profession, um, an educator in um, the performing arts. And because of that, from a really early age, I was always dancing. I was going to classes. And I also had the unique opportunity of learning lots of different types of dance and learning from really well-renowned um, artists and teachers. And it was such a privilege to do that. So I learned from my mother's guru, um, Sri Kalamandalam Venkat in Kolkata, when we went back to India. I learned um, Manipuri styles from Sajib Bhattacharya. Um, I, so I forgot to mention my main style of classical dance and or Indian classical dance is Bharatanatyam, but I also got to learn um, Galari, which is a martial arts and um, also a performing dance art as well. And so I've just had this really amazing life and I'm so just privileged to have learned all these types of dance. And um, my mom was all about, you know, learn more types of dance because there's not just one way that you can express yourself. So. Um, growing up, I also did ballet. I learned contemporary dance. I was um, in a dance company in high school. And then um, at CMU, I was part of Dancer Symposium, and I got to choreograph some contemporary pieces. So my entire life, you know, dancing was just always there for me. It was, I think, the number one way I expressed myself. And as I grew older, I also started to teach dance. And for me, um, that was also transformative because it wasn't just me performing or me um, you know, sharing that experience with an audience, but me also passing down this cultural heritage um, to younger generations. You kind of already touched upon this, especially because, you know, your mom's organization really focuses on this cultural aspect and kind of uses dance as a lens to, you know, uh, I guess like, maybe not a lens, maybe like a vehicle just to help everyone understand culture in a certain respect. How does dance specifically help you connect with your roots, just given all the different places you've kind of um, connected with through this medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So for me, dance, I would say especially classical dance, kind of helps me connect with like the timeless stories of reality. So one amazing thing about um, the Indian performing arts, especially the classical arts, is they're ancient. They're over 2,000, 3,000 years old. And when we think about life and the cycles that people were experiencing, you know, thousands of years ago, we face the same struggles as humans now. So we know whether there's stories based on mythology, stories based on everyday life or family, or even more like dramatic stories, like when we talk about the caste system, which is shown in like um, plays and narratives like um, Rabindranath Tagore's um, Chandalika, or when we talk about nature and environmental justice um, that we actually did a performance on in my mom's dance company um, called Prakriti on the Chipko movement. Um, so dance is just for me, you know, showing these realities of, you know, the human condition. And um, it really helps me find grounding in not just the realities and intricacies of life, but also some of the abstractions and feelings that we might not always be able to name. Yeah, I, I did Bharatanatyam like a million years ago for a very short amount of time. I was not very good, but 
I just remembered like before we would learn any sort of dance I think a lot of it was kind of based in like um mythology so would there be a little storytelling component that we would engage in with our teacher and she would just be like oh this particular pose is representing this individual and I mean that helps you kind of remember the choreography but it is also a cool way to to literally storytell um and a lot of it is very performative like you're not just moving around and representing things but sometimes you're literally acting things out um which is so so cool and I totally agree with you like you really engage with whoever choreographed that hundreds and thousands of years ago, um, maybe not hundreds of thousands, hundreds or thousands of years ago. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe someone will be doing your choreograph choreography like a hundred years from now. Who knows? <laughs> so I want to shift gears a little bit now, Rusha. So um, I know that outside of dance and, you know, your engagement with medicine, um, you've also put together something called girlhood spelled with an X instead of an I. So I wanted to give you a chance to introduce that yourself since I, I think your brainchild will probably come most eloquently through your own words. So tell us a little bit about that. Where did it come from and what exactly are you trying to do with it? So um, girlhood with an X um, came out of my senior honors thesis project, which actually I credit a lot of to you a picture because I almost never applied for that until I asked you for last minute advice. I remember your amazing project and so you were really a great inspiration. So really kudos to you because you were one of those um, first proponents of this project. So the idea comes from X standing for the intersections of all of our lives. Everyone's identity is an intersection of various aspects of who they are. And so what I wanted to explore through girlhood was um, the intersections that come up in various femi identities or um, femi representing identities and so what it exactly is is um, because my major was creative writing and with the focus on poetry I wanted to um, incorporate poetry with my passion for dance so the project um, was developed in three parts so the first was conversations with femi or femi identifying people um, on our Carnegie Mellon campus so it would just start off like um, conversations like these I would just meet someone and ask them if they wanted to chat about you know maybe an issue they were facing or something they'd experienced in their college career or just you know some feelings that they were processing in that moment um, and from there whether it was one conversation or a follow-up conversation I would write poetry kind of describing how I was feeling talking to that person and what those conversations um, pulled out of me and from there I would host these um, kind of like group dance movement sessions um, where I would invite people um, of any identity really not just femi identities um, to come and we would just you know explore different feelings from the poetry I was writing so I would like project a poetry a poem on a screen we would you know maybe read about it discuss it a little bit and we would just kind of move through the spaces of whether it was a classroom or like a studio um, and just kind of move the move through those spaces and movement um, from there we, we established some um, kind of like set choreographies and those were presented on our campus at um, various like speaking events and um, open mic nights we did like one flash mob type thing which was really fun so really it was a three-part project of conversations poetry and um, exploration of that poetry through dance and now girlhood lives on as an instagram account correct so what well, the poetry that we see on there where does that come from so the poetry that I continued um, was really just kind of me thinking about, you know, how these conversations don't just end, um, you know, in college, that we're experiencing different intersections of our identities, and sometimes we're gaining more paths into those intersections. So um, although I haven't been able to write as much as I want to um, after graduation, I've tried to keep up with it as I continue talking to a lot of these people, as I continue meeting new people, 
um, and writing from those experiences. So it lives on in my Instagram account in terms of poetry that um, I'm working on, poetry that um, I'm starting to publish or I'm thinking about publishing, and just something I want to share with the world. And for me, it's fun just because it's an Instagram account. So, you know, people sometimes DM me and they say, hey, that made me think of this or like this line of your poem reminded me of this book I read. And it's just a fun way to continue those conversations somewhat informally. Great. And congratulations to you. I know that some of that poetry has been published in a few places, which is amazing. It always makes me smile to see, you know, you thriving. I did also want to, I mean, kind of, I think our listeners have honed into why I thought of Rusha specifically in the context of this podcast, because a lot of this, um, the motivation behind this was intersectional experiences. And I think I was personally motivated just with the push and pull between the Indian and American parts of my identity. Um, so it sounds like you found a lot of opportunities to explore that with other people and with yourself, at least through dance. Um, I'm curious if there were any other, you know, formative experiences that you've had either within the realm of dance or poetry or outside um, that you'd like to share with everyone. I think a lot of those like cultural um I guess like intersections came in dance. So for example, I've had the opportunity to work on choreography that incorporated um, both like Indian and traditionally like Western styles of dance. So that's one aspect of it. But I think one like uniquely formative experience that I'm really lucky to have is just um, being part or just I guess being raised in an environment where my family was really open about a lot of things, um, which I think is really unique to the Indian American experience because I unfortunately I think a lot of um, the peers and people I interacted with in college didn't always have, like, I felt like a lot of my friends had some clashes, you know, between maybe what their parents or what their family members wanted out of them and, you know, kind of like assimilating to American culture, I would say white American culture specifically. So I guess like one thing I can share is that I was really lucky to grow up in that household that, you know, from an early age, my parents, we discussed topics like ableism, we discussed disability justice because my mom's disabled, we talked about queerness, we talked about abolitionist practices, both um, in America, since, you know, we're not on our own land, we're on stolen land, and also, you know, globally. And because I think we talked about this, um, I think these conversations helped me realize that um, I'm so much more than, you know, my nationalities. I'm so much more than the color of my skin that my goal in life should just be to be as much of a compassionate human being. So I think those experiences, those conversations have been really formative for me because it's not like one part of my identity is fighting the other one. It's more of like either way, I'm a human being breathing earth on this or breathing air on this earth. That's what I meant to say. And because of that, I should just, you know, live life as I can. So I guess that got kind of extracted, abstract at the end. But what I meant to say is that I think those conversations have just mostly been formative and just me being me as a person, not necessarily one identity or the other. Yeah, like a whole blended, you know, new individual. It doesn't have to be like breaking down into individual components. I completely agree. Um, so from that, Rusha, it sounds like you've had a lot of opportunity to explore creatively. Like, I think you're one of the most creatively diverse people I know in the sense that you are really into writing and you really pursue that and you've put energy into it. You've also maintained like your your passion and uh, dedication to dance throughout the course of your life. A lot of people like will do that up until maybe high school or college and then you know work catches up with them and then they don't really find spaces. Um, so I really love seeing how it's 
found a way to kind of stay as a part of your life. And I really think it is a part of your identity, uh, as you very rightfully said. Um, but with all of that, I mean, I just want to remind our listeners, she's doing all of that and she's also now going to pursue medicine. Um, so first I want to ask you, Rusha, like what exactly is driving you to pursue medicine? Why is that interesting to you? I mean, everyone says they want to help people, which is true, but we can help people in so many ways. So for me, I think the formative experiences leading me to medicine um, have just been like kind of seeing my mom's illness. So my mom, despite being a dancer, despite being what we would consider a healthy or quote unquote healthy individual, she um, had a lot of illnesses. So she's a leukemia survivor. She had two hip replacements. Um, and also one thing I noticed was, you know, when we were dealing with all of these as a family, when she was going through some really tumultuous times, um, my family was also struggling with poverty in America. So, um, you know, during those um, years when she was really sick, um, we were really struggling as a family to, you know, get food on the table or pay medical bills or, you know, even afford, um, you know, bills. So because of that, seeing the intersection between, you know, health and um, I guess like literally health and wealth and also health and um, I guess like the capitalist structures we live in, I realized that this is something that I wish didn't happen to other people and I want to be there to support them through those things. And I think specifically why I wanted to be a physician was that I want to be able to be like the doctors, the good doctors that my mom had. I wanted to be there supporting, you know, not just the person going through the illness, but also their family members and encouraging them and being an advocate, making sure that they were making, they had, you know, um, they were able to make informed and empowered choices about their health. So I think those experiences together um, led me to this path. Your mom sounds like the most amazing human being. I mean, if I if I had to like embody resilience um, in a single person, like I think you've talked about her to me before, and I know you love her so much, and you guys are very very close. Um, so that's just it's just wonderful to hear about her and how she's probably like pushed you to do so many things in your life. Um, do you think your drive mainly comes from from your mom, or what what drives you through like you know your ability to just take on all this stuff in your life? I think, you know, for my mom, for my father, just from family, but also just I I care a lot about other people, and I think that can be good and bad. I know personally in my um, experience in the National Health Corps, I work a lot with underserved populations. I work a lot with um, people who are incarcerated or were recently incarcerated and um, helping them navigate their health care, and it can be really hard. There's a lot of emotional burnout in what we do and how we try to support and empower others. But I think the drive just comes from, I want to help someone else. I want to help them get back to their family. I want to help them through something difficult. I want to help them know that, you know, they can make choices about their health, that they're not just, you know, part of this large system where they don't know what's going on. So I think just that drive to help others is kind of intrinsic. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I think um, I was going to say something like when I when I'm listening to you talk, like I'm just trying to piece together like some sort of pattern, because I feel like when I talk to a lot of people, you can kind of pick out aspects of their personality, just in the things that they do, because, you know, the whole actions speak louder than words kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and I've noticed that you like in addition to being a storyteller are just the kind of person who's just very in touch with like people from an emotional perspective, which I think a lot of people will be like, yeah, everyone is in touch with emotions but I think I think in addition to your own like there's this kind of um a desire for you to connect with people emotionally and just really find modes for expression and like a healthy outlet um and also make sure people have the space to do that same thing so I think that's really powerful and you know as you're talking I think I've heard all of this before but hearing it in one setting um 
it's just painting a really cool picture of you as a person who's like honoring a lot of different aspects of her life like not just from a cultural perspective but also from an academic perspective also I think a lot of people also interpret culture as like you know where you're from um which is true obviously but like there's a lot of other aspects to it that I think have really shown through your personality Mm -hmm. so um you know I really am wishing you all the best with your med school pursuits. I'm sure you're going to do fantastic. I'm like, I'm like not worried about you at all. Like just to be very, very clear. Um, So, you know, as proud as I am of you, I did want to ask you a fun question that I've been asking a lot of people that I've been interviewing at work lately. Um, And it kind of catches them off guard, but I Mm -hmm. think it's a good question. So, you know, you know who you are right now. I want you to kind of throw yourself back to when you were eight years old. Or any, any age, any age where you were kind of starting to think about the future. What are some things that, you know, you wish you could tell your eight-year-old or however-year-old self um, just to kind of, I don't know, help them get to where you are today? Obviously, you didn't need it because you're here, but if you could, what would you say? <laughs> oh, my. Well, okay, this is superficial, but I think I would tell my eight-year-old self that it's okay if you can't catch all the Pokemon on the Game Boy or Nintendo. Like, it's going to be all right. But I think a real answer, although I guess that's also a real answer, is that, um, you know, the love you have for living, the love you have for the things you do, like, share that with the world, because there's so much more love to be given. That's the advice I think I would give. What about, I guess there's another way to ask this question. What are some things that you think your eight-year-old self would be really happy to know about 24-year-old Richard? Are you 23 or 24 right now? I'm turning 24 in August, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I knew it was somewhere close. But what do you think they would be, you know, happy or proud of, of your current self? Um, I think they would think it's interesting that um, I'm still dancing. Because quite honestly, I don't think I liked dance that much when I was eight. I think my mom will tell everyone, she, she'll be like, oh, like, who should not really like getting on stage? Like, she was so shy. And, like, I think it was true. I don't think I like dancing that much. So I think... It would be surprising for eight-year-old me to know that I've tried to pursue this, you know, somewhat professionally, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I have a lot of friends who are, like, very good at, like, piano or, like, music today. Or maybe they're really um, into singing. Or I have a friend who even was, like, really good at abacus. And those were all things that they were kind of, you know, I guess pushed to do or, like, they were in a routine of doing it as a kid. And they almost... Like you said, exactly, like it was just kind of frustrating and it felt like a chore, but now it's just become like a really important part of their life. So would you say that like dance in that respect also kind of helps you connect to your childhood self a little bit? Yeah, I think actually when I started dancing and when I got like, I guess serious about dance was when my mom was really sick and when she was sick, um, her treatment was in a different city, different state than where I was. So for me, it was just, you know, a way to connect with her. Um yeah, I think for me, that's kind of how it started. But now it's just something I just love doing. I love the whole experience of dancing. I love how it makes me feel physically and spiritually. So yeah, I guess connecting with Rusha in the past, the present, maybe the future too. That's kind of meta, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. I did want to ask you if you had any questions or topics that you wanted to touch upon uh, You know, while we're talking that maybe have come to your mind while we've been walking through 
the pre-assigned questions per se. Was there anything that came to mind that you thought would be cool to talk about? I do want all your listeners to, yeah, one thing I would love to tell all your listeners is that I guess those who don't know, like both you and I and how our relationship has grown, I also want to say that a picture was also one of my TAs in Biolab. So not only was she instrumental in my senior thesis, but she was also instrumental in my biology career and um, as of now, I guess, <laughs> like medical career. So, so much thanks to you. <laughs> Wow. Wow. You've really like blown my ego up tenfold today. Um, (laughs) So thank you. I mean, you were you were a very good student. I'm sure you still are a very good student. So it's absolutely my pleasure uh, to welcome you into my team, welcome you into. Well, I didn't really get to choose you for class, but obviously it was wonderful having you in lab, which was I think I mean, I think anyone who went to Carnegie Mellon and went through Biolab, shout out Dr. Dunin, can say that it's like one of those experiences that you really kind of struggle together because it's just a lot of work um, that's really, really important. And it's kind of like what you were talking about with dance, right? When you're doing it in the moment, you're like, oh my gosh, like this is just a lot. And then after you're yeah. like, I'm really glad I did that because everything else is like <laughs> really easy in comparison. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that was a pretty good formative experience in and of itself as is a lot of stuff that happened during college and as are a lot of things that are going to happen during the course of I'm sure med school I'm sure med school is gonna gonna be a grind but a really productive grind definitely (laughs) well thank you so so very much Risha I really really appreciate you taking the time on a Tuesday night to to chat with me um and I'm you know always looking at your your Instagram account, I will add the link to the description of this video in case anyone wants to check it out. Um, do you have any parting words for our listeners before you, you head to bed? Um, I just want to say thank you, A Picture, for having me. This was so fun to talk, and I've been listening to all your episodes, and I absolutely love hearing the conversations between you and your friends. Um, it just really makes everyone feel more connected, and if anybody wants to check out my poetry, it's just at girlhood with an X instead of an I on Instagram. Amazing. Well, have a very good night, Rusha. We'll connect again soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, As you know, our theme music is by Kai Roberts. You can check out at Kai Roberts Music on Instagram. You can check out Rusha's awesome poetry at girlhood, which has an X instead of an I in the handle, also on Instagram, and I produce the show. We'll see you guys next time.